0: A little different than the last service. I'll look around the room and I see some people who might relate to this, but I grew up in a world without the internet and streaming television. I think a couple of you know what I'm like. That was my TV growing up. Does anyone else have a TV like this growing up, something like that? All right, good. Okay, I'm, I'm among friends. When I grew up, it's like in my day, when I grew up, there were three major television networks, three local networks, and the PBS channel. That was it, man. That was, those were your choices. And if you were like me, We had one television, having more than one television happened a little bit later, kind of a luxury. We had one television, and since we had one television, what was on that television was dictated by my father. Anybody else? That's how it worked in your house? Dad had on. That's what you were watching. As a result, I was forced to watch shows I did not want to watch at the time, but now ironically, they are among my favorites to tune into as an adult, And this is one of those shows. One of those shows was Mission Impossible. Anybody watch the show, Mission Impossible? Not the movies. I love the movies. They're great. I'm talking about the show, that TV show with that catchy, memorable theme song that's in your head right now. You know the one, dun, 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 dun. dun. and had that always, every episode, the same opening monologue, that classic monologue that began with your mission if you choose to accept it and always ended with, and this tape will self-destruct in five seconds. I remember the first time I watched that show, that like caught my attention, and I was waiting for this tape to like blow up, and all that ever happens is just it starts oozing smoke. And I was like, man, that's not self-destruct, that's lame. But if you're familiar at all with this show, and if you're not, after the mission briefing that always started the show, there was always an intricate plot that revolved around, of course, a critical situation where timing was everything and everything was not always what it seemed. Now, again, I always complained whenever my dad turned that show on. But then again, at the same time, that show kept me on the edge of my seat for an hour as I tried to figure out, first of all, what was going on and then how it was all going to come together. And I share this with you this morning because you and I, we have been given a mission from God. A mission that in terms of its scope and its parameters can seem rather impossible. More and more, in fact, it, due to its perceived degree of difficulty, I find most Christians believe this mission can only be the work of a unique and special branch of the faith, Allah la a Karen Merkel, the so-called missionary. But the thing is, the reason why So many of us have come to this flawed conclusion is because we've never really understood the priority and urgency of this mission. And more importantly, we have overlooked or forgotten our greatest asset, our leader, our guide in fulfilling this mission what is this mission? Who is this leader and guide? The answer to both of these questions can be found right in the scripture that hopefully you're opened up to by going back to the very moment when the very first Christians were given the mission briefing in Acts chapter one. Now, before we read it, a little background, Acts, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke was a physician who became a believer in Christ. And he actually investigated Jesus' life story, his life, his death, and resurrection, and recorded all of his findings to someone named Theophilus, meaning that name means a friend of God, in the gospel account that bears his name, the gospel of Luke. But the thing is, Luke didn't start stop writing there. Unlike Mark, Matthew, and John, Luke documents what happens next in a book called Acts. It's, in fact, one of the Bible's rare sequels as the book of Acts, if you look at it, picks up right where Luke's gospel ended. And so what we're about to read in these opening words is first a brief recap of what happened before, and then we're gonna hear our mission briefing as followers of Christ. It's gonna be laid out for us. It's gonna be on the screen. You can read it there. You can read along in your Bibles. Luke writes, "'In my former book, Theophilus, "'I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach "'until the day he was taken up to heaven.'" after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we're in the midst of this sermon series that's centered around increasing our awareness and appreciation of the person of the Holy Spirit. Over these last few weeks in particular, we've been looking with some detail at the roles or Main activities of the person of the Holy Spirit. And so far, this is what we've looked at. We looked at how the Holy Spirit gives us life. Last week, we looked at how the Holy Spirit enhances or transforms our lives. And today, we are going to reflect on the third and perhaps most important work of the Holy Spirit, which is sharing or extending life, the life of the risen Christ to others. Now, as we've just read, Jesus outlines a mission to be accomplished. It's right there again on the screen. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then here it is. Here's our mission. You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This mission, as you probably know, which is also quoted at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, is what is commonly referred to as the Great Commission, that those who follow Jesus will be witnesses of the Gospel through sharing and extending the life of Christ offers us to others. Now, here's the thing. Lots of Christians I find view the Great Commission as something we do for Jesus. The Great Commission is something we do for Jesus. You know, it's like Jesus did his part. Come on, guys. He did all the heavy lifting, the cross, and that whole resurrection thing. And now it's time for us to do our part, to spread the good news far and wide about Christ. But that's a really flawed, even though that sounds good, that's a very flawed understanding of what Jesus gives to us here. And to highlight that, Listen again to how Luke himself, in reflecting back on this, frames his understanding of our mission from the very beginning of this chapter. Look at what he writes here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. This is an intentional word choice by Luke because what Luke understood, what we need to understand, is ours is not a new mission, something we do for Jesus, No, better understood, sharing an extending life, full, abundant, and everlasting life, born of forgiveness, grace, and love, is the continuation of Jesus's mission, something that Christ started and now purposes to continue to do through us. I mean, in many ways, that's the main reason why we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, I mean, and, and this is important. If we stopped our, what, what, we, what the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit these, over these last two weeks, the Holy Spirit gives us life, the Holy Spirit enhances our lives or transforms our lives, then we would walk away with this idea, well, the Holy Spirit is just you know, a personal life coach. But that's not it. The Holy Spirit is not just our personal life coach so that each of us can live up to our potential, find our contentment and satisfaction, and just stop there. That's all accurate, ac- ac- accurate, but that's not where it stops. No, the Holy Spirit works in us in order to work through us. The Holy Spirit gives us life, yes. The Holy Spirit gives us this life and the life to come. The Holy Spirit enhances and transforms our lives here and now, not just for our own benefit, but ultimately for the benefit of others. To put this another way, the primary work of the Holy Spirit, you could say, the one that unifies all the others in one great purpose, the primary work of the Holy Spirit is to complete the mission of Christ. To complete the mission of Christ, to share life where where death continues to reign, to bring light where the darkness still dominates, to declare freedom by faith where bondage to fear still holds many in shackles, to resurrect those who remain dead in their sins, to extend life among those who are so preoccupied with death, they remain lifeless. The primary work of the Holy Spirit is to complete the mission of Christ. And it's not surprising that this is exactly how the mission unfolds in the next chapter of Acts. As the Holy Spirit, chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit arrives and gives birth to the new earthly body of the risen Christ, otherwise known as the church. Only when the mission leader arrives on the scene, the person of the Holy Spirit, can the Great Commission, the ongoing work of Jesus, resume through his followers. What's so interesting, we throw that word church around a lot, this this thing, this entity that is created on Pentecost. We throw that word church around a lot. But if you actually look, and you've probably heard this before, the Greek word that translates into our English word church is this word ecclesia, ekklesia, and breaking this word down as it does on this slide, there's two parts to this word. There's the word, the participle ek, which means out of, and klesia means, it's from this verb kaleo, which means to call out. And so this, it's this literal translation is the called out or the called out ones. That's what our word church tries to encapsulate. And this doesn't do it justice. Because this idea is that we as the church have been called out, We have been called out of where we once were. We have been called out of how we once lived. We have been called out to our shared mission as Christians to get up and go, to follow Jesus, to follow the Spirit in sharing and extending the gospel, the life of Christ to others. In other words, despite how we often use and speak in terms of the church, the church isn't a place to visit. It isn't something to sit through. The church isn't an institution. The church is a movement built around a mission. Yet many of us will speak about what we're doing right now as church. We're going to church. We're doing church. And what I want you to understand is this isn't church. This is not at all what the Holy Spirit envisioned or what the Holy Spirit comes to give us, which, again, there's a place for what we're doing, but this isn't the church. What's church is when we go out on the move, when we're out moving together on mission for God. This is us actually taking a break from what we're supposed to be doing, from what we're supposed to be about. And yet for many of you, that is not how you think of it at all. You think, I went to church, I did church, we were, we're the church. See, and it's so interesting. Why is this so hard for us to grasp? That Why do we think this way, that the church is an institution rather than thinking of the church as a movement built around a mission? And I'm going to suggest to you, the reason why it's so difficult for us to remember, so difficult for us to actualize, is because we've stopped letting the Holy Spirit inform and remind us of what the mission of Jesus Christ is all about. What is the mission of Jesus Christ all about? I find that if you ask the average Christian, and you can test this out with someone else, or you maybe you even can process for yourself, self-reflect, when you ask the average Christian, what is the mission of Jesus? the answer you typically hear, sort of the boilerplate response goes something like this. Well, the mission of Jesus, sure, Jesus came on the cross to forgive our sins so that we might have eternal life. That's the mission of Jesus. Now, while that is most certainly true, all of that is true, here's the thing. It's not the full story, not by a long shot. I wanna be really clear about this. All of history revolves around the work of Christ, his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave accomplished the whole work of our salvation. There is nothing our human effort can add to that work. However, in giving us the great commission through the person of the Holy Spirit, without us deserving it or earning it, Jesus graciously brings us into his work of salvation, of sharing and extending his life to others. And the parameters of this mission are so much more than just clearing the ledger of our past or securing the destination of our future. It's more than just the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. Yes, it is all that, but the good news doesn't stop there. Changing this present life that we are living is also part of the mission of Jesus. We are given a new identity here and now to live into thanks to Jesus. For the world, for all of us in Christ, we are being made now into new creations. This is the fullness of the mission of Jesus. And the beginning of this transformation of our character and our habits, of our words and our actions, the beginning of this transformation of how we live in community together, how boundaries are broken down and unity is achieved in the midst of such great diversity is what unfolds in the second chapter of Acts, and continues onward through the end of the book. My friends, it's not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit arrives on Pentecost of all days. Pentecost was the culmination, the celebration of the spring harvest. The Holy Spirit is given on Pentecost to begin to harvest what Christ's death had purchased. The Holy Spirit is given on Pentecost to begin to harvest the fruits of his resurrection, whole, full, everlasting life for the world. It is not a coincidence when the Holy Spirit preaches for the first time on Pentecost, as all the nations of the known world at that time are represented in Jerusalem. It's also not a coincidence that the Holy Spirit happens to speak simultaneously in all of their various languages through the disciples of Jesus who were gathered there. Because this reinforces both the message and the mission of the gospel as not merely something for Israel, but for all nations. My friends, Jesus' mission was never simply about getting individuals right with God. Jesus' mission always aimed to bring the reality of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to gather all nations, to restore all creation back to God. That is the mission we have been graciously invited and empowered to enter into. I mean, and that's why when you go beyond beyond Acts and start to read some of the letters of the New Testament and and the writers who are kind of reflecting on what just happened, and when I mean what just happened, I don't just mean the cross, the resurrection and the ascension. I'm talking about Pentecost as well as they're reflecting on what just happened. They will start to say things like this. You know, when you stop and think about what just happened, it used to be, that people had to go to Jerusalem, to the temple to encounter the presence of God. And in the past, encountering the presence of God could be too much to handle. It could often resulted in fear and death for humanity. I mean, even angels still cover their faces before the presence of God. But what just happened with the coming of Christ? Everything changed. We could look into the face of God and not only find life, but forgiveness, healing, healing. And hope. But what just happened with Pentecost, But the thing is, with Jesus, with the person of Jesus, the mission remained local. Did you ever think about that? As great, as amazing, as astounding, as fantastic as the incarnation is that God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. With the person of Jesus, the mission remained local. And what I mean by that is, wherever Jesus geographically was at that moment, right? But with the coming of the Holy Spirit, what just happened? The mission became global as the presence of God goes to where the people are. As through the Holy Spirit, Paul and Peter will write, we, we become the living temple of the Lord. As the very presence of Christ dwells and resides inside broken and weary people like us, making us alive so we can bring life, his life, to others to all the people of the world. That are the full parameters of the mission. And when we stop and we unravel this and we come to understand the full scope of the field of the mission we have been given, it's easy to feel daunted and uncertain about the task before us. But again, we must always remember we do not work alone. In moving people's hearts back to God, in reclaiming every square inch of creation as the Lord's sovereign territory. We are but followers, witnesses to the person of the Holy Spirit, who once again, primary work is the completion of the mission of Jesus Christ. So we need to, To take stock, then, we need to, in, in thinking about this, reflecting on it, take stock about how the Holy Spirit not only directs and animates us in this mission, but also equips us for every opportunity and challenge along the way. How are we equipped for mission by the Holy Spirit? Two primary ways. The first is we are empowered through what are called spiritual gifts. And we talked briefly about these last week. The Holy Spirit gives to each one of us a particular gift that's outlined in the letters of the New Testament. You see all of the references that are up there for you. If these gifts, by the way, this morning are completely unknown to you, you've never heard of this before, I recommend further biblical study about them. You can go to Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and then after you've dug into the Bible a little bit, come and talk to one of our elders. Come to talk to Pastor John and myself more about this. But I suspect that all of us have had some exposure to this idea of these gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us. And so, for the rest of us who maybe we're not, we're not hearing this for the first time, if you've heard of these spiritual gifts before but haven't exercised yours, my question for you is what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And when I've asked that question sometimes, when this topic kind of comes up pastory with others about spiritual gifts, and, and oftentimes people will say, well, yeah, I was told this is the spiritual gift I have, or this is, and I'll go, and I'm like, well, are you exercising that gift? Well, no. And I go, what are you waiting for? What I find, Christians kind of who aren't exercising their spiritual gifts fall into one of two camps. Either one, they're hung up on not fully understanding that gift. And they're like waiting for like a lightning bolt to come and all of a sudden make them under, fully understand the gift. And what I want to tell you on that one is understanding comes by actually just putting yourself out there and experience. It's like life. But then some, the other thing I come across is sometimes Christians don't like the particular gift they've been given by the Spirit. And it's like Charlie Brown, I got a rock, you know, or something like that. And I want to frame this, how we often think about the spiritual gifts in a different way so we don't get hung up on these two things. And the way I want to do this is Uh, by way of sort of a a mental exercise. Imagine that we were all going to build a house together, say like a Habitat for Humanity build. We are all going to right now build a house together, and we would assemble as a team, and we'd obviously divide up the work. Some of us might help deal with the cement and laying the foundation. Others of us would handle the framing and the drywall. Some would deal with the plumbing and electrical. Still others would take care of the trim, the painting and the fixtures. And maybe some some of us would do the landscaping as well. Imagine we do this and when it's all finished, we were each lined up and asked what our purpose was we probably would answer the question what our purpose was by repeating back whatever job we were given to do. Well, I did the cement, I I painted, I helped with the roof. And the thing is, if that was the way we answered the question of what our purpose was, we'd all be wrong. By answering back the jobs we were given to do, we didn't answer the question. The jobs that we were given to do are our roles. The answer to the question of what was your purpose, we had the same answer. Our shared purpose was to build a house. And why I'm saying this is that we shouldn't get so hung up on the particularity of the the spiritual gifts that we have or have not been given or how much we understand them or don't. Because here's the thing, while each spiritual gift is different, their purpose is the same. They are united by one common objective, to point others to Jesus, to share the life of Christ, to extend the gospel. We have been equipped with gifts for this mission, but we also have been equipped by being empowered to prophesy. One of the things you'll notice in Acts chapter 2 when Peter what Peter declares in this sermon he gives on Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit has been given to those in Christ to prophesy. In fact, what Peter actually says as you'll see on the slide in the screen is the coming of the Holy Spirit is God's fulfillment of a promise to equip us in this way that goes all the way back to the Old Testament prophet named Joel. And so he says, God has promised that he will pour his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And as he goes on, he says, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women. Here's the, ki- here's the kicker. I will pour out my spirit in those days and they all will prophesy. Now, right now, that makes most of us in this room very, very nervous. You have been equipped, empowered to prophesy. And this makes us nervous because we don't properly understand what it means to be equipped by the Spirit to prophesy. We hear this word as a verb, right? Prophesy, and we understand it. We misunderstand it as to mean the ability to predict the future. But actually, the Greek word translated as prophesying or prophecy properly means to speak forth as in to declare the character and purposes of God. Another way of describing this is it's the idea of prophecy or prophesying is to speak the truth of God to power, to speak the truth of God in a revealing way, a revelatory way, in a given moment. If you will, that's exactly what Peter is doing here in Acts chapter 2 in preaching this sermon through the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about what just happened. A violent wind entered the room. Tongues of fire descended. People heard others speaking in their, in their languages. And in the midst of that, if you remember this story, some people are like, everybody's drunk. That's what's going on here. And Peter goes, no, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesies. He says, let me tell you, I am going to speak the truth of God to power. I am going to reveal God's will in this given moment in light of what just happened. That's what Peter does. That's it. And believe it or not, and I know for some of you, you don't believe it, Each of us in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, are equipped in this very same way. If you will, this is what Jesus meant. Do you remember this? Jesus at one point in talking to his disciples, this is what Jesus meant when he spoke about the Holy Spirit teaching us what to say. Jesus talks about, you're going to be going forward in my name and there's going to come these moments where you're not going to have a clue what to say. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. And and honestly, you need to hear that because I find that for many, many Christians, that's like the number one worry, the number one worry about this mission of God we've been given, that you will find yourself at a loss with what to say to another person. And if that's you, take stock in this, in the fact that this is exactly what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. In fact, the Apostle Paul once put it this way in his first letter to the Corinthian church, and it's just awesome what Paul just lays out right here. Look what he says. Paul says, this is what we speak, not in words. Taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Get this next part explaining spiritual realities with Spirit taught words. We are equipped for this mission. We have been given gifts of the Spirit, and the Spirit will give us the ability to prophesy, not to predict the future, but to speak the truth of God to power, to speak the Word of God, the will of God in a given moment and say, that's what's going on here. This is what's happening. Now, I've laid this out for you, and I know that even though we might hear this, that we've been equipped by the mission, for the mission of this mission by the Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm a realist, I'm a practical guy, and I know there are still a few obstacles that we actually face in engaging this work to which we've been called. And what I want to do is I want to re- review a couple of these obstacles that I find not only I encounter, but I encounter in others in the midst of this mission that we've been called to. So here we go. Here's the first one. I don't have what it takes. How many times, Have anybody ever said that? You know, you hear this, I, I, yeah, yeah, but I, I don't have what it takes. I don't got it. If you've ever said, I don't have what it takes, if you're sitting there right now and you're hearing all this and going, great, but I don't have what it takes, let me give you some encouragement. Neither did the first followers of Jesus. I'm serious. Think about this. Sitting in that upper room on the dawn of the day of Pentecost were a bunch of underqualified blue-collar workers who were totally unprepared and guys, come on, ill-equipped for the, what on the face of it looked to be an impossible mission. I mean, if outside of if knowing what we know, if we entered into that room and said, okay, we're gonna start a movement. All right, we're gonna do some interviewing. And you interviewed everybody in that room. These are not the people that you would have start your movement for you. So how many years did you spend following Jesus? Uh, three. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. And when he did his biggest work, you know what he came to do when he went to the cross? Where were you guys? Oh, we ran for cover. We were hiding. Uh, oh, and when he was resurrected, were you guys? Oh, no, actually, we heard about it from some other people first. Um, yeah? Oh, great. Okay, well, we'll get back to you in the movement thing. Right? You would, this is, these are not people that we would have been like, yes, let's start a movement with these people. And yet, when the Holy Spirit showed up, when the Holy Spirit filled them up, this group of men and women together became powerful prophets who turned the world upside down for Christ. Part of the reason we're here is because of what the Spirit did through them, people who didn't have what it takes on their own. Here it is, guys. Guys, this mission doesn't rise and fall on your personality or personal abilities. This impossible mission becomes more than possible when and as the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. The Spirit directs and empowers us for this mission, even as we are works in progress being transformed in Christ. And that's kind of the hang-up for many of us. Like, I don't have what it takes, but when I have what it takes, you can bet I'm going to sign up for the mission. I'm in. Once I have what it takes, then I'll be there. You're never going to have what it takes. I'm never going to have what it takes. We are works in progress. Until we get taken home to glory or Jesus returns, we are not going to be all that we can be in Christ. We are works in progress. And yet, by the grace of God, even as we are works in progress, the Holy Spirit can work through us as well as in us to complete the mission of Jesus Christ. I know it sounds crazy. There are times when I sit here and I just go, This is nuts. And yet Jesus said, with the Holy Spirit, get ready for this, with the Holy Spirit, we are in a better position of influence than John the Baptist was. And Jesus considered John the Baptist the finest of all the prophets. And if that doesn't grab you, the one that still, still, how many years in ministry, how many years alive, almost 50, still gets me is when Jesus said, guys, let me tell you something. With the Holy Spirit in you, you are going to accomplish greater works than even I have done. What? What? And yet Jesus said, with the Holy Spirit in you, you are going to accomplish even greater works than I have done. My friends, if we've got the Holy Spirit, then we've got what it takes to fulfill this mission from God. But then there's this one. Pastor Chris, thank you for those encouraging words. I really appreciate that. It's good to know. But the thing is, I've taken a spiritual gifts class. I am Actually, I've studied this. And the thing is, evangelism is just not my gift. It's great. I know. I know. I just... I, but I took the test. Evangelism is just not my spiritual gift. Okay. Honestly, this is one of the reasons why I really don't like spiritual gift classes. They're very, very beneficial and helpful. I don't like them because people get all fixated on like what gift they are or whatnot. And I can't tell you how many people, they go to the class and they're like, I'm not, my gift's not evangelism. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. Oh, I was a little nervous there. You know, I I thought maybe that might be it. Oh, good. Hospitality. Yes, I'll take that. All right. (laughs) Oh man. Okay. But not evangelism. Okay. Okay. Here's what I want to clarify. Very important about spiritual gifts. A spiritual gift is just a specialization in an assignment given to all followers of Jesus. What I'm saying is just because some are more gifted at sharing the gospel doesn't negate that we have all been called to extend the life of Christ to others. We've all been called to evangelize because if you weren't paying attention a few minutes ago, we've all been equipped to prophesy. We've all been called to evangelize. To push this even further though, if you're still resistant, these gifts of the Holy Spirit, all of them, these gifts of the Holy Spirit are not static abstract deposits, meaning independent of ourselves, the Holy Spirit isn't flying around like Tinkerbell just dropping gifts, you know, there it is. These gifts are born out of a relationship So important where we started. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. The Holy Spirit is a person, the person of God. These gifts are born out of a relationship. What I'm saying is if you don't think you have the gift of evangelism, or you have it but really can't seem to, you know, it just is not working for you, there is nothing to stop us from asking for a greater measure of any of the Spirit's gifts. Have you ever made that prayer? Have you ever prayed? You're like, no, because I, well, I might get it. I might get the gift of evangelism. No, I haven't prayed that prayer. Ah, ah. God loves to answer those kinds of prayers. God, when you pray for more of something from God, it's particularly a gift God doesn't go, yeah, I've looked at your resume. I really don't think so. no. The Bible is replete with people who are like, man, I just don't see this. And God loves to do that. God loves to give more of himself to people who want more of who he is, more of the gifts he offers. If evangelism is not your gift, it's still your calling. And if you haven't received that gift, are you praying for it? Are you asking for that kind of help? Because here it is. And again, have you ever thought about this? If this same spirit that was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead If this same spirit that was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead now lives and empowers us, do you really think you have to worry about finding the right words when you share the life of Christ with others? Guys, the Holy Spirit will teach us what to say when we need to say it. But then there's this one. Pastor Chris, gosh, this is great. Really helpful, insightful. Thank you so much. It's so much growth here. But I witness with my life. I witness with my life. You know, St. Francis of Assisi, I believe, I believe he said this once. He said, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. And I think that's very insightful, actually. And so I don't really speak as much about Jesus as much as I just let people see Jesus in me. I just let them see my life. You know you've said this one. You know you've said you witness with your life. I've said it, right? Now, while... Certainly, we are to witness with our lives through good deeds. Jesus said this. We are to witness through our lives with good deeds that shine so brightly, others will praise the Lord. My friends, the gospel is still news. The gospel is the good news. It's still news. It's an announcement about what Jesus has done for us, of what Jesus can do in the life of another person. It's news. In other words, living out of our faith in Christ is great but it's not a replacement for sharing and extending the life of Christ to others. Having people see the fruit of the Spirit blossom in our lives is awesome, but it's not the same as telling those same people who gets the glory for the harvest. We can't live according to the values and characters of Christ. All By all means, live according to the values and characters of Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to work in us but we can't live according to those values and the character of Christ, but never mention the source of those values of that character. When we're just walking humbly, acting justly and loving mercy and not speaking up about Jesus, all we end up communicating to others is that we're trying to live as a good person. If we never mention the why for the how of the way we live the way we do, then the one who gets all the credit will always be us and not Jesus. We must both speak of God's reconciliation and live as agents of reconciliation in Christ. We must both both show and tell others that God loves them so much that he sent his son to save them, to transform their lives. Because it's only when we live and proclaim what God has done for us in Christ to others that through the Spirit, they will be prompted to let Jesus do the same in their lives. You can't just witness with your life. You've got to witness with your words. Well, there's another obstacle, one we all share. It's this one. Next slide. I don't have time. And I could say a lot here, <laughs> just to myself. I don't have time. But here's the thing. We're all busy. Let's just... Own it, we're all busy. But then again, let's not forget, look in the Gospels, Jesus lived a busy life too. The key difference, however, is Jesus was busy with people, busy being involved in relationships. Is that what you're busy with? Is that what you're busy with? And before you answer too quickly, let me clarify something. Having people all around us while we're busy doesn't mean we're busy actually relating with the people who are all around us. Is your busyness centered on relationships, people, or is your busyness centered around work assignments, personal projects, things that you're trying to do? Is your busyness centered around doing or is it around being? Is your busyness with all your work or even your play coming at the expense of the people in your life, your spouse, your family, your friends, your neighbors, You know, you say to your spouse all the time or your kids or whoever, I'm doing it all for you. I'm working like a dog. I'm doing all these things, these projects around the house, whatever it is, I'm doing this. I'm so crazy busy because I'm doing it all for you. And that person ever say to you, that's awesome. But I don't even feel like we are together anymore. I feel like we're just occupying space. I don't feel like I know you. I don't feel like we've connected. If that's what you're hearing, then you're not busy with people. You're busy with stuff. Jesus lived a busy life, but he wasn't busy with stuff. He was busy with people. God created us. Jesus saved us so we could be busy being in relationship with him. God created us. Jesus saved us. The spirit empowers us so we could be busy sharing life in Christ by being in relationship with people. To help you even more on this, this mission that we're talking about, this mission Jesus puts before us is not one where we have to go and find something to do. This mission is not simply a matter of taking on new ministries so that we can be even busier for Christ. And some of us in this room, that's what you think this mission is all about, is doing stuff for God. God's not looking for you to do stuff for him. In fact, the place in which we live, where we are right now, the people that God's put before us right now, that's the context for the activity of the Holy Spirit. That's the context for our fulfilling the mission of Christ. It's not about adding more to our schedules. It's not about um, uh, taking on more. It's, It's about letting the Holy Spirit refocus how we schedule our lives so that we're engaging the relationships that are right in front of us. It's about the letting the Holy Spirit show us how every part of our life, at work, at school, at the gym, at Starbucks, at home, is an opportunity for accomplishing the mission of Christ. It's about embodying the gospel where we live, where we are planted, and sharing Jesus, the best person we know, the best relationship we have with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our coworkers. You've got time. Even if you're busy, just be busy, not just with all the stuff, but with the people that God has put in your life. And then the last one, what if it gets awkward? Or worse, I fail? I mean, I'm not going to answer this as eloquently as Karen Merkel did in her video, but I'm going to try to repeat it. Guys, isn't it worth being occasionally uncomfortable in order to extend a lifeline to someone who is living less than the life for which they were meant? Isn't it worth being somewhat awkwardly uncomfortable for someone for whom death stands as the last word in, the, in their life, the only word they know? Isn't it, I mean, if someone, and I know you've heard this before, but it's, it works. If someone had cancer but didn't know it, wouldn't it be worth the difficult conversation to let them know they had it? And if you had the ultimate cure, I'm not just talking about a cure for that cancer, but if you had the ultimate cure for all cancer, how could any of us reconcile remaining silent even if the other person was already committed to some other form of treatment. Guys, I think that sometimes we forget the urgency of the mission we have been given, that lives are at stake. And we're not playing around here. This is a matter of life and death that we have been entrusted with the life of Christ, not for our own smug security, not so we can have our own general indifference toward the world. We have been given entrusted with the life of Christ for the very sake of the world. Here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit fills you, when the Holy Spirit, when we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, when we press into that presence, we perceive, we feel, we experience what God desires for all creation. Are you feeling, are you experiencing what God desires for all creation? And the thing is, we all know what God desires for all creation. We all know the verse. We'll put it up in sporting events. We recognize it when we see the the call sign of where it's from. What is God's desire for all creation? That none would perish. God desires that all the world would believe in his son, Jesus Christ, and be saved. That's why he sent his son. John 3.16, you know it, I know it, but are we feeling it? Are we experiencing it? Are we experiencing God's heart for this world and for the people around us? If we're not, and I know this is hard, if we're not, then maybe, just maybe, we're ignoring rather than listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it can be awkward, but it's worth it. It's okay, and if you're like, yeah, but awkwardness can lead to failure, and I don't want to fail, you don't need to be afraid to fail either. We don't need to be afraid to to fail, because here's the thing, and this is a good one, sharing Jesus with others is not about selling people on Jesus. Can I ask you, pastorally, please stop selling people on Jesus. Jesus isn't merch. Stop selling people on Jesus and just start sharing Jesus with people. Getting people to come to Christ The salvation of others doesn't depend on you. It doesn't depend on us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit alone. And we get this wrong in the church. And I think this creates an opposite effect to actually open up and sharing. That's why we're afraid to fail. But hear this getting people to come to Christ, the salvation of others doesn't depend on me. Thank God. And it doesn't depend on you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit alone. What's ours? We get the invitation to salvation. We're called to witness by pointing to the love and truth of Christ at work in our lives, both in word and deed. That's the seed we've been given to sow. Our part of Christ's mission is not winning arguments. You don't have to win anymore. It's not hitting people over the head with the Bible. Read your Bible. Don't hit people over the head with it. Our part in the mission of Christ is not trying to guilt and shame others with presumptions of judgment. Not your job. Through the Spirit and rooted in the Word, we are called to honestly share our life, our convictions, our hopes, even our doubts and fears with those around us. Our part of Christ's mission is as much about listening and caring as it is about sharing and here's the thing, and this needs to be repeated again and again because this is, so many people get hung up on this. It's not our knowledge about Jesus that is, is, that is contagious as much as it is our sincere, practical, and daily enthusiasm for the person of Christ in our lives. If it was just about knowledge of Jesus then Pastor John and I would be converting people like crazy. And the Lord added daily to their number who was being saved. My God, so much knowledge. Now we believe. Where do we go to find this knowledge? Seminary, here you go. So many of you are hung up that you don't know enough. It's not about your knowledge, which is not to say that you shouldn't pursue knowledge But your ability, the Holy Spirit's ability to work through you is not about your knowledge. The Holy Spirit works through what's contagious is your sincere, practical, and daily enthusiasm, your excitement for the person of Christ, that relationship, the best relationship you have, the best person that you know, that people see visibly that you talk about in your life. If you're worried about failure, let me tell you, without the Holy Spirit, you should be worried because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot hope to succeed. But with the Holy Spirit, if you're afraid of failure, know this. With the Holy Spirit, we will never ultimately fail. So here we are. It's been a couple thousand years, right? A couple thousand years since our mission briefing was first given by Jesus. To ensure that it wasn't a mission impossible for us, Jesus sent us his spirit. And as we've talked about today, and I hope you've taken to heart, in the Holy Spirit, we are equipped. We are empowered for that mission. Through the Holy Spirit, we are directed to live out that mission in whatever part of the world we find ourselves. It could be somewhere across the globe, but more often than not, it's right across our street, our cubicle, our desk, our table. Our life in the Spirit and our devotion to the mission of Jesus Christ go hand in hand. There is no question Jesus wants us involved in his mission. The only question is where and how are to be involved. And so I leave you with this question in the morning, and I really pray that you will not just let it pass you by. And the question on this next slide is where, to whom is the Holy Spirit sending and empowering you? You. Dare to answer that question today. Dare to lay it before the Lord and to pray, Lord, tell me the answer to that question today. Let us trust and expect that the Holy Spirit, if we lay that question before the Lord, will show up with power and authority and work both in us and through us wherever and to whomever we're being led. Because my friends, you and I, we are on a mission from God. Amen.